Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the show. We've got a lot to talk about today. It's Tuesday and we're going to talk some UVA basketball. Lots of news, uh, lots of turmoil. I mean, you can say turmoil. It's, it's across the college basketball landscape. So I'm not sure if we have to worry about that so much, just in particular to Virginia. Lots of schools having guys in the transfer portal in Virginia. Certainly there uh, with two new names being added on Monday. Hayden Shedrick and Isaac Trout. And I guess as I'm recording this, I'd better look real quick and make sure there are no more names being added here on Tuesday. Uh, because the way this has been going, hey, it's it's been uh it's been a mile a minute as far as that goes. Let's see, a couple Auburn kids, uh, an Illinois kid, nobody's names that I recognize already. An old Dominion kid going to Virginia Tech, Mikhail Long. Um, we can talk about that. Uh, let's see. Yeah, no, no UVA kids added today. It's, hey, good news. <laughs> it's 134 as I'm recording this, and there's no more news. So let's go into the um the deletions and then what it means for Virginia as far as that goes. Um Tony Bennett put Caden Shedrick in minutes purgatory back in January. And so the the news that Shedrick is entering the portal is not surprising at all. He's got two years of eligibility left. Because he's a redshirt junior, um, he had one more year left normally, and then of course the COVID redshirt year. So we'll see if he uses both. Um, the six eleven redshirt junior put his name in a portal on Monday. He uh, joined two other Virginia bigs, Isaac Trout, uh, who also went yesterday, and then Francisco Caffaro, who went in the portal last week. Caffaro had already indicated uh, before the season was over that he was thinking that he was he, he was not coming back. It was just a matter of what his next step would be. He's in the portal just uh, just to give himself another option in case something doesn't work out professionally for him overseas. So what this does for Virginia is it leaves uh, UVA with just one player currently with any appreciable amount of experience in the front court. That's 6'8 freshman Ryan Dunn is probably honestly better as a big guard, <laughs> um, but he played he played forward this year for Virginia uh, and he only averaged 12.9 minutes a game. But we got, we got to see a lot of what he could do for Virginia, and so that should be something that'll. Uh, I mean, he'll be a guy that Virginia can kind of build around there a bit. It reminded me a bit talent-wise, at least of Braxton Key, if not DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Hunter is obviously a stretch number four draft pick uh, in 2019, but he's he's got the talent like those guys. He can guard all five positions. Um, he can make jump shots. He can make three-point shots. He just you know didn't have a lot of um, confidence in himself offensively last year uh, from from anywhere outside of value dunks, but. And follow-up dunks. He was very impressive with those, but I think he'll grow. He'll, he'll obviously grow. Um, Shedrick is a curious case. We talked about how he was put in minutes purgatory. He was on his way, in my opinion, to an all-AC season early on. Uh, back in November and December, he was, you know, the first six games, I had him averaging close to 12 points a game, shooting 78% from the field. Uh, and that was against that wasn't against a, a light uh, a lineup of, of opponents that included Baylor and Illinois in the main event classic and included uh, Michigan in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Then uh, he got demoted uh, as the offense struggled with Reese Beekman's offense, uh, excuse me, health issues. He has an ankle injury that didn't turn into an ankle plus hamstring injury. The offense stagnated. Tony Bennett decided, hey, I got to try something new. He went to Ben Vanderplas for the for several games. That worked and worked well for Virginia. And um, the word that got back to us was that Shedrick didn't take the demotion well. I I can honestly understand. I wouldn't have either. He was playing great. Uh, I wrote a column literally the day of the North Carolina game 
day before the North Carolina game uh, that went into his statistical, um, his, his, his in-depth statistical dominance. You know, he was averaging at that point, just under 10 points a game, still shooting around 70% from the field, but boy, defensive uh, box plus minus uh, defensive rating, uh, all, all the, all the inner stats. He was, he was leading the ACC or top, top two or three in the ACC and all those important stats. And uh, then he loses his starting job uh, to Ben Vanderplas. And um, it, it was one of those things where he, he didn't take it well. He didn't practice well from what we were told. And he didn't get a lot of minutes. He had 26 minutes in the NC State game. But overall, in the next 14 games, 107 total minutes. So, uh, you know, he was, he was relegated to the bench. He was bolted to the bench. Um, well, you could tell that he was bolted to the bench, too, and that there was issues other than just uh, Bennett wanting to play uh, Vanderplas more. Vanderplas had a back injury. You know, it's hard to pinpoint exactly when it was, but you could probably point to when the offense started stagnating again. Um, it was a, probably around the the Virginia Tech game when Van, Vanderplas played 29 minutes and went scoreless. That was like February 4th or so. Uh, the next game was the game that uh, the NC State game where Shedrick got 26 minutes off the bench and played well, 10.6 rebounds. Um, but then he went back to the bench. In fact, the last two games, regular season, Clemson, Louisville, two home games, DNP coach's decision did not play coach's decision. Healthy scratch was Shedrick, including for senior day. Um, you know, yes, Shedrick still had two years of eligibility left because of the red shirt, but he's graduating in May. So, you know, as it turns out, he didn't get to, he didn't get to celebrate senior day, uh, with his family. He didn't get to play on senior day. in spite the fact Virginia, you know, rolled, uh, Tony Bennett, uh, actually played, uh, you know, the last 42 seconds, I believe it was, he put he put some walk-ons in the game. Chase Coleman hit a three, if you recall. Shedrick didn't get in that game, a healthy scratch. Uh, he finally got back in the lineup when Vanderplas broke his hand uh, the eve of the ACC tournament, and he played well. Credit to Shedrick. He hadn't played in a while. He averaged 8.7 rebounds, 2.8 blocks a game, including 15 points, 13 boards, four blocks in the NCAA tournament game, the loss. Now, you may you could argue, and it's been pointed out by numerous folks, that he was out of position on that last pass by Kia Clark if he's playing if he's where he needs to be. Virginia keeps playing. But he didn't. Um, he didn't get off the bench in a loss at Virginia Tech. He only got 18 total minutes in the losses at uh, Boston College and um at UNC. Those losses were limiting uh for Virginia. If you know, win one of those three games, uh that Shedrick either got no time or or a limited time. And uh, Virginia uh, wins the ACC. <laughs> he got right instead of the co-regular season champions. And who knows what that does in terms of momentum. You know, I kept I kept writing columns about how Shedrick needed to play. He, you know, just didn't get off the bench. So, um, you know, let's let's talk about Isaac Trout now. Trout's a guy that redshirted this year. Uh, before the season, there was an, a lingering injury from practice. For, I think that's right. And... Um, uh, this decision was made early in the year. I think it was bef- after the Monmouth game. We were told by Tony Bennett, Monmouth game, second game of the season. Uh, but the decision was made before that game. Virginia won that game 89-42. It was kind of game you knew you were going to probably win by a good bit. Uh, Coach Bennett said after the game that, yeah, I was going to put a lot of guys in this game. Um, that was a game that Cafaro, who was still then being uh, referred to as Cafaro, had to miss because he was going to play for the Argentina national team in a qualifier in DC. 
Uh, Ryan Dunn got a lot of minutes, played, you know, scored 13 points, had six boards. That was his sort of breakout game. Uh, Trout uh, decided before the game, hey, I think I need to work more on, on my strength. I need to work on things a little bit. I want a red shirt this year. Don't want to waste this year, uh, you know, getting a few minutes here and there and, and, and kind of waste a whole year of college. So he, he, you know, told Tony Bennett, you know, the, the decision was out there. What do you think? And I, I think I'll redshirt this year. So there's a lot of talk from Virginia fans on, on social media, message boards, that kind of thing about, well, maybe the decision to redshirt him is why he left. He's the one who decided to redshirt. Uh, and, and Coach Bennett uh, re- uh, referenced a few times early in, you know, the November, December season um, that, uh, you know, they could always revisit that. Um I would suggest that the fact that Trout uh, didn't end up, you know, playing his way, I guess, uh, into not redshirting would tell you that he hadn't done enough to earn more minutes than the guys ahead of him in the post. Uh, not to say he's obviously, you know, a lot of potential number 57 recruit in the class of 2022. He was the Gatorade player of the year in Nebraska. He said in his uh, message uh, on social media where he uh, indicated he's he's going to transfer he wants to go closer to home in Nebraska. He's he's from Nebraska. Uh, he's been linked to Creighton. Uh, there's a possibility of Nebraska Lincoln, you know, the school in the Big Ten. So, um, I mean, what this does, obviously, it's not just those two guys, uh, Shedrick and Trout, that are being lost. Um, also, Caffaro, I mentioned, Ben Vanderplas. He was a, a grad transfer. This was his last year. Jaden Gardner, uh, his last year as well. Um, you know, two, a couple big losses there with those two guys. And so it just leaves Ryan Dunn, as I mentioned, and Blake Buchanan, the uh, the, the four-star power forward from Idaho that picked UVA over Gonzaga. Obviously, Virginia has some uh, guys, uh, some feelers out to guys in the portal. Uh, you know, I won't go into great detail about, about that, but uh, the, the, what, what you can tell from looking at the profiles of the guys that Virginia has reached out to to the stage is that what Tony's looking for is are, are guys more like Ben Vanderplast than, than like Caden Shedrick. Uh, you know, guys, you know, Jay, think Jay Huff, big guys who can shoot the three, big guys who can stretch the floor for you. And, um, you know, Virginia's been at its best. I wrote a column about this yesterday after kind of letting it all sink in. Virginia's at its best when it plays small ball. Uh, the two best teams in the Tony era, the Elite Eight team in 2016, the National Championship team 2019, started smaller guys at center uh the, the primarily down the stretch of the 2016 season Anthony Gill at 68 was starting at center um and then in 2019 69 Mami Di was starting at center and this the 2019 team had four guards around him it was a four guard lineup uh you know Kia Clark and Ty Jerome Kyle Guy DeAndre Hunter I've had people argue with me DeAndre Hunter was more of a forward that's great you can say that he, he was a guard um Braxton Key off the bench, a big guard, but still a guard. Could guard, you know, anything from one to five on the floor, just like Hunter. That's what gave Virginia the lineup flexibility. That doesn't mean that Jack Salt didn't get a lot of starts that season. And then it doesn't mean that, you know, he didn't get a lot of minutes that season. But Virginia was at its best. And in fact, when when in, in the NCAA tournament, uh, the team was at its best when Mami Diakite was starting at center. Similar for that 2016 team that should have gotten further than the Elite Eight. We all know that. I still think that was the better team of the two, to be honest. But um, the uh, you know that team had now it, it was a little differently constructed. Uh, Isaiah Wilkins was a definitely a four on that team, a defensive four though. Uh, and then Gill at the five spot, 
um, they, they could interchange with each other defensively. Uh, offensively, Gill was was the post guy who scored and, and Wilkins set screens. Uh, but that team, you know, those two teams played small ball. And so, um, you know, stretching the spacing the floor well uh, with with outside shooting, not clogging things up in the middle. And that's what that's what Tony's looking for. Tony and Stanford looking for um, with with the 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 reach outs uh, to the guys in the transfer portal now who are bigs. And that's you know, I, I think that Virginia, I mean, you know, I know that there's a lot of wailing and gnashing of the teeth right now. I think that, you know, you look at what Virginia's got coming back. You could have, uh, let's, let's just throw out a four guard lineup, uh, Reese Beekman, Dante Harris, two point guards, uh, and then, you know, Dante Harris, a Georgetown transfer, who's got a lot of hype from his work with the program. He transferred in at the uh, Christmas break and worked with the team as a red shirt. Uh, a lot, a lot of love for him that I'm hearing about from, from the practice, uh, what he did in practice running the scout team, that kind of thing. So Beekman and Harris and then Armand Franklin, Isaac McNeely, a four-guard lineup. Now that they'd be a little smaller. Uh, Harris is six feet tall. Beekman is six three. Franklin six four. McNeely six four. Um, then I would have, you know, theoretically a floor spacer at center, to kind of like a Vanderplas, a six seven, six eight, six nine guy who can shoot threes. Have Dunn come off the bench, be my Braxton key. Blake Buchanan could be in a, in a, a, a you know, put himself in a position to challenge for minutes there as well. And then your your backcourt minutes could uh, your, your uh, bench minutes could come from Leon Bond, another four star who redshirted this year, Elijah Gertrude, uh, a four star who before he got hurt was ranked uh, higher than anyone Bennett's, Tony Bennett's ever recruited at Virginia. Uh, Gertrude, a combo guard, a very good offensive player um, who will definitely be a guy on this team that uh, down the in the future will will be a guy who puts the ball in the hole for this team. Not a bad eight man, eight man rotation, if you ask me, and. Uh, in line with this, you know, if you're going to, if you're thinking about small ball, I did a reader Q and A yesterday uh, where I took some questions uh, from uh, readers <laughs> about uh, is it time for Tony to to pick up the pace a little bit? Uh, and I'll thank those readers for making me think to do this. And I did a deep dive, uh, maybe spent too much time on this, considering uh, everything else news wise yesterday. I think I guess I started writing this story before the news started popping out about the guys leaving. Um, now Virginia averaged 5.7 fewer possessions per game than the average division one team. So it's not as many, you know, you always hear, uh, especially NCAA tournament time, Virginia plays too slow and they keep teams in games. They don't have enough possessions. It's six fewer possessions than the other teams. So it's not like, you know, I mean, when I did the math on, on their margin per possession this year, Virginia's margin per possession was pretty tight actually. Um, but still, that would add up to about a, a point per game for those six possessions, a total of a point per game that Virginia loses an average margin of victory because of the the, the slightly, you know, I mean, you know, it's a lot slower pace. Virginia ranked 360 this year out of 363 teams, but it's six possessions. It's not like Virginia's playing 15 or 20 less possessions per game than the average team. It's six. Now that said, you know, okay, let's throw that number out there. Now let's throw out uh, – how how effective you are at offense, uh, and when you look at the Final Four this year, two of the two of the teams in the Final Four, UConn and Miami, are both in the top five nationally in adjusted offensive efficiency. Uh, the other Florida Atlantic's twenty fourth, San Diego State seventy fifth. So uh, Virginia was seventy second this year, and you know we what you hear about 
when you're you know you you're around the Virginia program, you're a fan, you're a writer like me. I'm both a fan and a writer. Um, is that Virginia wins with defense? But I mentioned those two teams, the 2016 and 2019 teams, the two best teams of the Tony era. Both were top 10 in defense, uh, in adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. They were also both top 10 in offense, and they're the only two teams he had in the top 10 in offense. So defense, yes, defense a constant, but it was offense that was the difference with those two teams and why they got to the Elite Eight and in the Final Four National Championship uh, in the case of the 2019 team. Tony's basketball philosophy is built around tempo, not just on the defensive end, on the offensive end as well. On the defensive end, obviously, it's all about uh, they double the the high screen and roll to get the ball out of the ball handler's hands. It, it makes the team take up, you know, the opponent take up more time in um, getting its offense set. Uh, either you eliminate the pick and roll from your game or you accept that you're probably going to end up with a late shot clock heave of some sort. Uh, if you try one or two of those and you run out of time, the 30 second shot clock actually helped Virginia. If, if things were to go to a 24 second shot clock, it would help Virginia defensively even more. So please let's do that. NCAA. Um, uh, you know, and also when the ball gets in a post, if there's a good post player getting the ball in the post or even a guard, sometimes if there's a mismatch there, uh, on a smaller Virginia guard, uh, they'll double the post and try to get the ball out of there again. They'll give up a, a contested three. Um, a lower percentage shot for those high percentage shots off of either screen and rolls or off of posts. Now, offensively also plays in the defense. Virginia plays offense kind of like a hockey team. <laughs> the way I look at it, uh, you know, when the ball's flying in the air, you see that uh, the, the Virginia guards, the, the the forwards, there's usually one guy crashing the boards and everybody else running back. They're trying to prevent a breakout. And so uh, that prevents offensive rebounds. Offensive rebounds, when you look at Synergy Sports numbers, the inside, some of the inside data, one of the better inside data sites, um, teams score at a higher point-per-possession ratio uh, on offensive rebounds than just about anything else you can do. Transition and, and offensive rebounds are the two best things you can do. Well, Virginia doesn't like to crash the boards offensively, and they don't like transition. Virginia was actually uh, in the bottom, let's see, uh, Virginia's pick. Hey, I got to find the numbers here. Um, uh, yeah, 355th in the country out of 363 teams in transition possessions per game, 5.6 transition possessions per game, bottom 10 in the country, uh, for Virginia. Now, when they did run, they were great at it. Uh, top 10 in efficiency, top 10 in points per possession, according to Synergy. Um, but those are the easy baskets, you know, when you get out ahead of the defense, don't let the defense set up. You either get, you know, either directly attack the rim, you kick it out to a three-point shooter, or you wait for the secondary break, kick it back to a trailer who can be a three-point shooter or drive to the basket. Those are your those are your most effective baskets. Offensive rebounds, either when you go right back up in the post with it, or if you kick out to a three-point shooter. Virginia fans are aware when it seems like teams make their the most of their threes against Virginia defensively when um, there's an offensive rebound kick out to a to an open shooter. Um, Virginia, by not attacking the offensive boards, doesn't, uh, you know, get as many of those opportunities as the average team. And certainly the transition is way below average. So Virginia plays a lot of half court offense. Um, 90, what was it? 92% of Virginia's possessions are, are half court possessions. And that's, um, uh, obviously bottom 10 in the country or top 10 in the country, depending on how you want to look at that. And if Virginia was more efficient in that, that would be okay. But Virginia ranked 68th in half-court offense, tied with Purdue, ironically, because Purdue also is a team 
Uh, Virginia's 92% of their positions are half court positions, 90.8% for Purdue. Another, they're a team that likes to you know, punch it inside with, with uh, Evie this year. Um, punch it inside, let the, let the post do its magic. Um, ironically, perhaps, maybe coincidentally, maybe not, Purdue also knocked out of the tournament in the first round. I mean, I, that, you know, when you play a lot of half court offense in a, in a, in a one and done game, if it bogs down at all, Virginia remembers this too. 2018 UMBC. If your half court offense bogs down and you're not getting easy buckets in transition offensive rebounds, you, you can you can be susceptible. So keep that in mind. Um, and so you know, and and both those teams lost to up tempo underdog. Fairly Dickinson, a team that uh, you know full court pressed, forced some turnovers out of Purdue. Furman got down 12, and Purdue, you know, had a, had a brief lead in the second half, but, you know, pretty much fairly Dickinson controlled that game. Virginia controlled the game with Furman until the coach, Bob Ritchie, went to a 1-3-1 zone and took Virginia completely out of its offense, and then that sped up per, that, that sped up Furman, and, you know, things really turned around in those last 10 minutes. So when you look at what's being rewarded in the here and now, I know this is just a one-year one year number, but the four teams still playing, I mentioned, you know, the offensive efficiencies thereof, um, two of the teams are in the top 50 in terms of transition offense per game, Florida Atlantic and Miami, UConn's number 125, and even San Diego State at number 210 in the country still averages twice as many transition attempts per game as Virginia does. That shows that's that's how far down the list Virginia is in transition attempts per game. San Diego State is an interesting comparison. That's the school, that's the program that was compared to Virginia. I mean, they're a, you know, they're a solid defensive team. There was a potential four or five matchup. Those two teams supposedly, you know, really slow teams. Actually, San Diego State averages four more possessions per game than Virginia does, and they push it more. So um, even in comparison, they're a team that, yes, they value their defense, and they, they are stout on the defensive end, but they'll push it more. So, uh, you know, yeah, it, it, the one other factor I looked at was end of shot clock. Uh, there's a, a site, hoopmath.com, hoop-math.com that um now it doesn't give a national leaderboard in this area so i had to go do some figuring but what i looked at was virginia in the the number of shot attempts in the last 5 seconds of the shot clock 19.9% of virginia's shot attempts this year were in the last 5 seconds of the shot clock so again i can't tell you how that ranks nationally but i did look at some i looked at the other uh teams in the ACC and I, and I threw Carolina in there, too. I was going to say the other teams in the ACC that made the NCAA tournament, and then I threw Carolina in. Um, Virginia, 19.9% in the last five seconds. Duke, 15.7%. Miami, 14.3%. Pitt, 13.4%. UNC, 13.0%. NC State, 116 And all those schools, well, Carolina, the exception. Carolina actually shoots a lower effective field goal percentage on its end-of-shot clock shots, probably because it had Caleb Love this year. They won't have that problem next year. Um but uh, Virginia, 45.3%. Everyone else, Duke was over 50%. Miami was just under 50%. Pitt, over 50%. NC State, over 50% uh, on their end-of-shot clock uh, opportunities, and they had less of them. So Virginia, more attempts in the, at the end of shot clock, low percentage uh, on those shots, less transition buckets, less offensive rebounding. Uh you know, that that there's a there's a reason this adds up or doesn't add up for Virginia. Uh, it, it, they're, they're playing a harder game than everyone else is playing offensively. Um, and how this factors in another question came in, how does this affect recruiting? You know, Tony obviously has the ability to say, I've got a lot of guys in the NBA. So, so don't listen to anybody who says you can't play our style of ball and get in the NBA. That's correct. 
But I wonder about now in this transfer portal era, in this NIL era, how how the you know how it affects a guy like Isaac Trout. Now he he redshirted of his own volition, but you know, and he, now he's he's saying he's homesick. You know, is he homesick because you know he waited, he played a year in that grinding system, even in practice, and then you know now he's got to look forward to four more years of that grind, or you know, and he, he thinks he's an NBA player and M- UVA's bigs. You know, or you know, it's it's hard to be a big and go to the NBA from UVA. There's there's a lot of guys who are guards from the from that group that are in the NBA from from Virginia. Jay Huff's the one. He's he's back and forth in the G League and the NBA, and he's he's a perimeter shooter uh, at seven foot one. Um, I'm trying to think, Mommy Diakite's turned himself into a three point shooter. Anthony Gill was a power forward and center at Virginia. He's turned himself into a three point shooter. So it, it's harder to get to the NBA from from UVA if you're a big guy. And also, you know, if 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 you are a guy that uh, feels like your offense is stifled as a guard, it could be, you know, now you can transfer out a year. You don't have to, you know, you 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 don't have to sit out that year, and that that was a disincentive to to transfer out once you committed. I just wonder. I mean, I'm not saying it does. Obviously, Virginia, he's Tody's recruiting great. All those guys are four star guys, um, but some of the guys are transferring out, and you just have to wonder how that's going to impact things down the road. So, any case. Uh, We'll be looking for more news. Hopefully there's no more bad news in the sense of just guys leaving. I'm not sure if it's bad news. I mean, we're taking it that way. This is the transfer portal era. Uh, you know, the 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 goal for coaches at this stage is, okay, if there's guys leaving, they're leaving because they're looking for better opportunities. And, you know, we kind of want guys who want to be here. Let's go out and find some guys who want to be here. And at least when you're recruiting guys who have a year or two or three or four years of experience under their belt at the college level, you can get a sense of what they're like. When they're, when they're coming from, from uh, high school, yeah, you know, they've played some AAU in the summer. You've evaled them there, but, uh, you know, it can be a, 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 it's a bigger leap to go from the high school game and even playing high school age AAU talents, top talents, than it is having played against grown men. Uh, at the college level, whether that be mid-major, power five, whatever it may be, so you get a little bit more. You get a little bit more f- uh, of a good feel uh, for for those guys when you get them in, and um, we'll keep our eyes on that. Obviously, that news. Um, we'll talk later in the week. Obviously, I'm going to do a Jerry Radcliffe show podcast that'll come up on Thursday, uh, but we'll do some more this week. Uh, probably talking some football. Uh, it's spring practice time at Virginia. And I've been I've been keeping up with the uh, the spring practice uh, comings and goings and goings on and development therein. So we'll um, we'll we'll talk probably tomorrow. Tomorrow being Wednesday, we'll probably talk some UVA football tomorrow. Um, and that means I got to get to work today to get some columns cranked out so I can have something to talk about tomorrow. Right? If you have any questions for me, any comments for me, any observations, criticisms, uh, attaboys, whatever the case may be. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, feel free to comment in the YouTube section there, the comment section. If not, uh, you can email me at chris at augustafreepress.com. Look forward, to, look forward to hearing from you. And um, also, there's a comment section on our website for stories. Uh, and there's it's been really it's been really great. I, I love the fact that we've built up a good comment commenter base, and we hope to continue to build that uh, as well. So. I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for listening, for tuning in, for watching, whatever the case may be, and look forward to talking to you again soon.